Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Today, my guest is Susan Mazza, and you're in for a special treat. Susan and I connected through our professional interests on Twitter five years ago. Now, you're going to listen in to two friends who chat lightly about their professional passions on the serious topics of leadership, purpose, power, aspirations, and more. And here's a sneak preview. Listen to Susan. You know, from a leadership standpoint, if you know who you want to become, that gives you a place from which to choose your words and your deeds every moment and in time. Am I going to choose to live consistent with that? Or am I going to follow the same old parents that have kept me stuck? But first, we have to do our Positivity Lens Reframe segment. And you know that I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle and to hone our ability to view people and situations through multiple lenses. Remember, what you focus on grows. In last week's episode, PositivityStrategist.com slash PS19, Dr. Judy Krings energized us on the topic of revving up relationship resilience. She shared the seven positive psychology applications to make love last. I hope you did the activity by downloading the Positivity Lens Activity Sheet on the show notes page of PositivityStrategist.com slash PS19. And here are some hints. It was about deciding which significant relationship you wanted to work on. And I recommended that you take the VIA survey to learn about your strengths. I suggested you might want to work on your vision or increase your playtime together or identify an area of communication that would bring you closer. You have seven great areas to pick up on as a starting point. And here's what I did. I reread Judy's book and revisited my own VR survey to fall in love with my strengths all over again. I increased the amount of gratitude I showed to my partner and became more attentive to what works best in our communication. I was so happy and it was great to revisit the things I truly care about and are my strengths. And so now to this week's show. Today I'm honored to have Susan Mazza as my guest. Susan, I'm really happy to have you on the show. A big warm welcome to you. Thanks, Robin. It's really great to be here. Great. Susan Mazza and I first met on Twitter in 2009, and it was actually my partner Jürgen Burkessel of Polymash who suggested I follow Susan on Twitter since she was tweeting about leadership, a subject which is also in my professional portfolio. And within a couple of months, we three had a tweet up in New York City. Do you remember that? I certainly do. It was, in fact, I think that was my first tweet up. (laughs) Oh dear, a lot of water under the bridge since then, right? Absolutely. So over these last five years, our relationship has grown and strengthened and we've worked together 
And what's most rewarding to me is that we've become trusted friends. And I'm grateful to have you in my life, Susan. Yeah, likewise, Robin. I'm very grateful for you and for the opportunity that we've had to both work together and play together. Absolutely, yeah. So Susan, as many of you will know, is a force in the leadership space with her extremely popular blog, Random Acts of Leadership. It's been named as one of the top blogs in the leadership space. And Susan has also been recognized as one of America's most trusted voices in this space. So Susan, without being humble, what does the growth of your blog, Random Acts of Leadership, and the recognition and acknowledgement that you've garnered in these recent years mean to you? I think there's two things. One is that it's been an opportunity for me to discover my voice and what I distinctively have to say about the subject of leadership. Blogging has been wonderful because you're not just talking to yourself, right? You're talking to the world. And I'm truly grateful that people in the world have chosen to engage with me because it's helped me to clarify and become a better communicator and a better writer and find the message I have that can make the biggest difference in the world, which I think is the second thing is that the growth of my blog, it increases the number of people I can touch. So essentially it amplifies the difference I can make in the world. Amazing. Yeah, well, you are touching a lot of people. Actually, I'd find it really fabulous if you could share a high point story with us, either professionally or personally, that shows how you connected to the leader in you. So where you found to walk your talk. And by that, I mean, you had the willingness to or the courage to speak up, to step up or stand up for what matters most to you. So where did you find it within yourself? That's my question. Yeah, so I don't know if I would necessarily start at the beginning, right? I think there has always been a yearning in me to take a stand for what's possible and to make a difference everywhere I go. And if you, if that's your commitment and that's fundamental to who you are, then I think you can't help but speak up, step up, and stand up for what matters to you. In thinking about this question, you know, when we think about leadership, a lot of times we think about leadership in a very corporate sense or even a political sense. But when I think about leadership, and it comes from a different place, and it really is about the everyday leadership, the everyday leader and everyday leadership. You know, if I were to articulate my purpose, it's to love people into their greatness, to support and inspire them in becoming the most powerful and joyful expression of themselves in the world. And so when I think about possible stories, one of the ones that comes to mind is a very personal one. And that's when I moved to Florida 10 years ago and I had a health issue that had just been plaguing me for a long time. And it was one of the motivations for me to move down here into a different climate to reduce the stress in my life and create an opportunity for me to grow and learn and make the difference I wanted to make, but knew my health had to be whole. And I remember one day I'd been struggling. I kept getting messages that just were incongruent with what I believed was going on. And I walked into a a doctor one day after having a really rough year with my health. And I walked in one day and I said to the doctor, I understand that you've fired patients for not complying with your treatment plans. And he laughed and he said, yeah. And I said, well, I have been run all over the place and I'm still not getting well. And I've been searching for 10 years. And I said, so I have a request of you that you relate to me as a whole healthy human being who wants to be whole and healthy and that you help me figure out what's going on because I promise you it's something, it just hasn't been discovered yet. Are you willing to stick with me until we figure it out and when you feel that you can't, to send me on to someone else? Mm. 
And he said, he looked at me and he, he was, he was kind of taken aback, but he looked at me and he said, you know, you have a deal. And he shook my hand. Three months later, he figured out what was wrong. I had surgery, fixed the problem. And in the last three years, I've been the healthiest I've ever been in my adult life. And so sometimes when we think about leadership, we think about it in the context of a role or a position. But I want people to think about leadership not just in terms of the the role or positions they may play in life, but the everyday leader that has to show up and first and foremost in leading yourself. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Knowing yourself, leading yourself, the willingness. I mean, there are a lot of attributes that come to mind when you tell that story. Courage, for example, honesty, commitment, responsibility, and all those kinds of things. What is it about yourself that you value? What were the attributes that shone for you in that? When you think back on that story, what do you value about yourself in that? You know, I would say it was the courage and willingness to take a stand for myself Mm -hmm. and to stop letting the world tell me who I was and why this was going on. And, you know, there were a lot of negative interpretations that maybe I just wanted to be sick or whatever it was. And I'd had enough, but it can be so easy to buy into the world's story about you or about anyone. I think it's the awareness to not buy into other people's stories that we have the opportunity to craft our own. And that's where our power comes from. I think I value that about myself, my willingness to carve my own story and chart my own journey. And in carving your own story, because I totally agree with you, Susan, that, you know, we are the stories that we tell ourselves, but often we deceive ourselves. We're not telling ourselves the best story about ourselves. Let's explore that for a moment. Sure. In your story there about the doctor, you had confronted an issue within yourself and you were seeking support, right? So you were looking for someone to be a partner with you in in arresting that situation for yourself. But you had to come to the insight first. Right. And I'm just wondering, you know, that's about self-leadership. And I think that's what I'm hearing you saying about random acts of leadership. It's about the small things, it's not necessarily the big role that you have and is an executive leader or whatever else. It's not about roles. It's about self-leadership. And where does that start? I guess I'm wanting to get to when do you come to that self-awareness to a point where you can step up, speak up and stand up? Well, I think it comes down to knowing what matters to you. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I think once it is that, once you're very crystal clear, you know, they say that clarity is power and I firmly believe that. And when you are clear about both who you are, what works, what doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. There's good and there's bad. There's Mm -hmm. the light and the dark. Mm -hmm. When you know yourself and when you're clear about who you are and what you bring to the party at this moment in time, but it's also clarity about who you're choosing to be because mm-hmm. we're we're ever evolving we're ever growing and we can evolve based on happenstance and circumstance or we can choose who we want to become and you know from a leadership standpoint if you know who you want to become that gives you a place from which to choose your words and your deeds every moment and in time am i going to choose to live consistent with that or am I going to follow the same old parents that have kept me stuck, right? So in, in coming to the conclusion that it was time for me to go find a partner in generating well-being for myself, mm-hmm. I had to be clear about 
who I was, what I wanted, how I wanted my life to look, how I wanted to feel and look and experience my life. And then it was only inside of that clarity that I could take a strong stand and say, this is who I am. This is who I will be. And then the decisions on what I needed to do became pretty obvious. Mm, That makes it very clear. So yeah, it takes work on yourself. Absolutely. Mm. And have you had coaches in your life or mentors who have helped you on the way? Absolutely. You know, I've had many. One in particular who's also a mutual friend of ours is Rich Largman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rich is certainly one of my dearest friends, but he's also for the last 15 years been one of the most important coaches I've had in my life. And he supports me in the context of my whole life. I mean, we sometimes work together, but he also coaches me personally. So he's been a real pivotal player for me. And purpose. I think you're probably alluding to having clarity around your purpose. And is that related to what matters? What matters to you and purpose? Are they similar? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely inextricably linked. It's, it's, it's a really good question. You know, I think my purpose is the fundamental of why I'm here, mm-hmm. right? And what am I here to do? Mm-hmm. I think that's really the question that that answers. And what matters to me is, I think, maybe a little bit more in terms of who I care about and how I both want to experience life and how I want to contribute to others' experience of life. Mm. Hmm, Lots to think about there. I know we've had conversations in the past about the notion of expert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We both love and hate that phrase, right? (laughs) And we've been back and forth on that one for a few times. Yeah. And I think you're aware that I have this cultural cringe with my Australian <laughs> kind of Anglo-Saxon cultural heritage. I have this cultural cringe in reaction to the term expert. And I've spent 20 plus years avoiding calling myself an expert, but helping to facilitate the expertise in everyone, you know, in the room. Right. Um, and yet... I know I've shared this with you, Susan, but I just thought it'd be fun to explore this again. Sure. Yet um, I'm recognised as an expert in the field of appreciative inquiry and that has caused me to pause. And you are extremely good at calling out distinctions. You know, you're you're fabulous. You're very good at honing in on the clarity and making sense out of stuff. And you have pointed out to me the difference between being a self-proclaimed expert and being recognized as one. Right. So I would love you to say a bit more about that because you express it very well. Right. Well, you know, I think there is a, I too resist the term expert, you know, whether it's applied to me or other people. And, and, and some of that comes from, I think there are a lot of people in the world, I mean, for better or for worse, I think the, the internet and Twitter and all that has given many of us an opportunity to get our voice into the world. But it's also given a lot of people a place to grandstand about how great they are. You know, in fact, I got a, I've been getting this series of tweets from someone who keeps tweeting into uh, mentioning me in the Twitter stream. And one of the things they keep saying is, you know, I'm the best lyricist in the world. And I'm thinking to myself, mm. well, says who? Mm. <laughs> right? So one of the things that I'll distinguish between who has earned expert versus the self-proclaimed is someone who's self-proclaimed, it's like, take my word for it. You should trust me. You should believe me. I am one just because you should 
you should take my word for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anybody can say that, right? The question is, what do you have to back it up with? Mm. And it's that cultivation of expertise in a very specific area over time that gives you the credibility and the credentials to be able to be named an expert. But even to this day, I still kind of feel like if somebody gives us the designation of expert, that can be a high honor because it says that we've earned their respect in the ability of us to take our expertise Mm -hmm. and apply it to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when we call upon people to, to demonstrate the expertise. So for example, I'm thinking of running a workshop, right? Where you're in a workshop and you're facilitating a workshop and you're saying that, you know, the, the true experts in this system or on this job are the people who do it. So you are then recognizing, honoring them for the expertise, the experience and the knowledge and the skills that they have when, as it pertains to that subject matter or that job or whatever it is. So right. I think that's what we're saying, right? So when you're calling upon the expertise of people, it's because you are recognizing that they have that capability because of their experience and the work that they've put in to do that. So, That's right. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking also when you bring in these expert consultants into um, a role or into an organisation on a project, I think that's where my resistance comes in because I'm saying, well, really the true expertise resides with the people who are doing the job or in the experience day after day. So I'm actually kind of resolving it for myself as I talk to myself about this. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm like nodding over here. I know you can't see me, but my head is bouncing up and down. So oh, that's the value of really generative conversations, right? You you talk through stuff and you say, oh, yes, I've just resolved my own issue here. <laughs> I like to say, you know, sometimes it's an aha and sometimes it's an oh, duh. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's an important thing, though, that you just that you just said that I just want to tease out a little bit. Mm. I think it's, you know, perhaps founded in your appreciative inquiry background, but I believe I share this perspective that when I go and I work with a client in any respect, that they are the experts in their themselves, their business, their leadership. They they are they are the experts, mm. right? Yep. My my expertise is provided to help bring out the best of that in service of what they want and what they're committed to for the future. So that in and of itself is is an expertise. And it's the kind of the wind beneath the wings kind of expertise as opposed to coming in and being all knowing. And and I think, you know, we still have a, a legacy of this, especially in larger organizations where knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I know, the more important I am. And I, and, and if you look, if you study any of the masters in anything, the more masterful someone becomes, the more they're awake to how little they actually know. Fabulous. Beautifully said. Ditto. Applauding. <laughs> yep. I really like that. And with the fact that today knowledge is almost ubiquitous. I mean, we can, information is ubiquitous, right? So we can access all kinds of information and, you know having knowledge or information is our power source no longer works so we can't lord over people in that way yeah. I r- totally agree with you that you say the expertise that you bring into a situation like that if you're facilitating a workshop or you're coaching someone I'd like to add to that is that I think we also bring in expertise and again I'm you know having these aha moments in this conversation with you is we bring in a process and a structure 
in order for those conversations to take place. So people come to that awareness about what their true expertise is and what they can offer. I think, you know, we don't have necessarily the content expertise in a client context or, you know, environment, but certainly the expertise of process and structure. That's how we facilitate these kinds of aha moments to happen. And I would add to that process structure, but it's also an awareness of context that most people are lacking. Say more about that. You know, operating from the context of the conversation. So one of the contexts that you bring forth in appreciative inquiry that I that I really value from our conversations is the more affirmative, valuing, honoring strengths kind of approach. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, especially who have grown up in organizations that have a legacy to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, find the flaw seems to drive things more than figuring out what's working and building on it, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to transform anything from a conversation to a multinational corporation, you've got to tend to the context of the organization, not just the processes and the structures and the practices, mm-hmm. but you've got to tend and, you know, the con- another way to say it at that level is the context is the culture, but an awareness and ability to interact at the level of context gives people access to very rapidly breaking through to new levels of performance and awareness. It's the, it's that, you know, the moment you have that new awareness, that aha moment, all of a sudden the world looks different and you see new options and opportunities and choices that you could make that as long as the old context was in place, you can't, you can't perceive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I follow. And let me just make a point of clarification when I think we're saying the same thing with a different, with different language, because when I'm referring to processes, I'm talking about frameworks, methodologies, um, worldviews, Mm. Um, different perspectives with different lenses. So an appreciative inquiry, the example that you bring up, offers a process or a framework or a different way of looking at a context. So I think, yes, I'm agreeing with you that that's another of the expertise we bring is when we have a whole different set of frameworks or lenses or worldviews that we then open up the possibility for different conversations and add diversity and try and make sense of complexity with people. That's great. I, I hadn't. I hadn't really. I mean, for me, process clearly had a very specific definition that hadn't included that expansive mm. worldview. So I appreciate you uh, expanding my perspective on that. Good. You're welcome. <laughs> I wanted to explore coming back to leadership now. So you know, we're doing the circular thing here, which I'm very good at. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a conversation. <laughs> yes. Let's talk a little bit about coming back to you now, Susan. What has your relationship or your construct of leadership evolved? I mean, I asked you at the beginning, how did you first connect with your own leadership? But how is it shifting? You know, how is that changing for you, if at all? I think it has has shifted a lot. I think having grown up in a hierarchical world where there is a quote unquote power structure and that power structure is based on position, based on connection, based on a lot of things other than what you self-generate. I mean, someone might say that if you become the CEO of a corporation that you self-generated that, but I'm talking more about your own experience of your power. So I think one of the shifts for me is in leadership being about leading from the core of who you are Mm -hmm. and that your power 
is entirely sourced internally rather than externally. The evolution has been power, wielding power that's granted to you versus generating power from within. Mm -hmm. and, and I think as a you know, young person you know, going into a big corporation, you tend to look up. <laughs> right? Because there's, there's a lot of people above you when you first start out, right? <laughs> Trying to find your voice when you're at the bottom, if you will. One pivotal story for me came when I was on a, I was working on a project and I ended up having to run this project for a group of uh, high performing, you know, high potential young people who had just come out of MBA school and were hired to the company. And I just ended up working on a project that they were part of. And so I was doing all this work with them and they were awesome. And they treated me with such respect. And one day I'm out after work with a bunch of them for a drink. And, you know, somebody asked me, they said, I know I'm probably not supposed to ask you this, but how old are you? You seem too young to be a vice president. Mm -hmm. And I burst out laughing because at the time I was just a manager and I don't know where they got that I was a VP from, <laughs> right? They, they completely made that up, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that was a moment where I started to really ask myself the question, so where does our power come from? Mm -hmm. I love it. It's a great question. Yeah. And, and so I think that's been the question that's guided the evolution of my thinking around leadership and both what it means as well as how to access it. I love that. Where does my power come from? The energy that you're projecting, the relationships that you're forming, the way that people are interacting with you, that's how your power comes, right? So right. talk about self-generating, you're giving out. Right. Giving out, and that's what people receive, yeah. But it, it does no good to give out if people aren't responding because mm -hmm. at the end of the True. day, I, I believe leadership is more like a dance mm -hmm. than a direction, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like you, you, especially in today's, you know, flatter, leaner, meaner kind of structures in the world, especially in business, mm -hmm. I think you need to learn to not just stand on top of people and direct and dictate, I think you must in today's world to be effective, you must learn to also stand alongside mm. and guide and support and enroll. And I think the, the highest accomplishment of any leader is to cultivate leadership in others. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. I, can I just share a little story? It, Please. You just reminded me of it. So I was working for one of the big six accounting firms as it was at the time, and this is like 20 years ago, and I was a manager. I was managing, uh, managing the training and development arm of this management consulting department of this big global accounting firm. My team of 12 people, we weren't really performing up to budget, so we were a little bit short of budget. So my partner came in one day and said, Robin, you know, I think you're having problems here. I want you to describe for me what your organization structure is. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually wrote this story in my book, actually. And I stood <laughs> at the whiteboard and I drew a circle. And within the circle, I drew lots of other little circles. And I had myself at the periphery, the edge of this circle. And I had my 12 team members kind of dotted around the circle. And I had him outside the circle and he said <laughs> and he said what's this is this an organizational chart and I said well yes I said I actually see that you know there are dependencies here and I'm not 
leading these people by standing over them or anything. We're all part of the same thing and I'm here as a resource to coordinate their efforts and you're outside the circle because you're not really part of our team. And, you know, we kind of move and shift around here depending on what we're doing for the clients. And he grabbed the pen from my hand. He kind of drew right through my pretty circles and he (laughs) drew this conventional org chart with him at the top and then a straight line down to me and then underneath me there are all these little boxes. And he said, this is what an organisational chart looks like. No wonder you're having problems managing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And I just thought, okay, I don't think I've been there for five years. I don't think I'm going to last much longer here. We don't even agree how we, you know, need to organize our organization. So, but I survived for five years in that kind of environment. So, yeah. Yep. I think, yeah, standing alongside, I like that very much. That's a just a great story. Now, I have a question for you, Robin. So, so you know, I'm because of your questions, I'm really thinking about the, un, until this moment, honestly, I don't know that I'd really distinguish that the source of our power is really kind of the heart of my evolution in the leadership inquiry. So I'm curious from your point of view, where do you say our power comes from? Well, I say part of my life purpose is to empower others. Mm. In response to that, I would say that my power comes from bringing the best out of others. I don't think it's very much different from what you've been saying. Mm. It's feeling comfortable with who I am and what I have to offer. So that's a clarity piece, right? Right. Having a sense of purpose, you know, what my message is and what I'm here to deliver to people and help them to tap into for themselves. And I also have a vision. I mean, this sounds kind of textbooky, but I also have a vision or an aspiration of what I want my efforts to how I want them to land in the world. So I feel most powerful when I see evidence of that. When I get feedback from people or I see people smile or I see that the the lights go on and they have an aha moment about a realisation and awareness that they've come to and I have been instrumental or somehow a catalyst for that, I feel really powerful. And it's not that kind of, you know, it's just like, I feel rewarded, I feel satisfied, I feel I have contributed and I've added meaning to something. Yeah, it's very good. It's almost like um, that's how you plug in your circuits. Uh, I was listening to a training program by Brendan Burchard recently and he talked about that power is not something you have, it's something you generate. Power Mm -hmm. is generated. And what you just described is that's how you generate power. Nice. Yep. And so we talk about, you know, in the appreciative inquiry world, we talk about generative conversations Mm. and they are developmental conversations. And it's not necessarily, you know, we don't go to, and you've heard me talk about this before, but we don't go to, well, what's the problem we have to solve? What's the thing that's not working that we have to fix? But how can we develop this to a new sense of awareness or a new sense of reality. So it is, I guess it's the same derivation of the word, right? How mm. do you generate power? How do you generate development for people? And so thanks for that. I think, you know, it's that generating the development of others or the ourselves, how we generate, we self-generate. And you said something about self-generate right at the beginning of our conversation. 
the this this whole process of generating, you know, you were talking about the ultimately when you experience the most powers when you know you've made that difference consistent with your purpose and your vision, where you've really manifested your vision in some way, big or small in the world, right? That that's a source of power for you. Mm-hmm. But I also think our power shows up in the moments when we're also struggling. Like maybe we're not making the difference we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're not uh, you know, we're not getting the feedback from the world that we want. And so in those moments, the world isn't giving us our energy. It requires, and, and I think this is at the heart of self-leadership, it's, it requires us to generate through and grow into the capabilities we need to make the difference that we want to make. Because anytime we're not making the difference we want to make, all there is is there's nothing wrong. There's just the gap between the difference we're making versus the difference we want to make or we aspire to make. Mm -hmm. And so that too is, you know, where the source of that power comes from is I think back to the thing we've been talking about, a clarity of purpose and vision. It's like, why am I here and what difference will I make in the world? Mm. So on this topic of, you know, when things I mean, we're faced with struggles or challenges. And yes, you said at the beginning that you had a health issue. So you found within yourself the power to find your own inner leadership that came from having to find a solution to a health issue, right? Right. So we're saying that was an adverse situation or not an ideal situation. And out of that, you were able to self-generate or generate your own leadership. I think there's an important thing to distinguish there too. And it's that, you know, kind of like you said before about appreciative inquiry, uh, not, not being about solving a problem or fixing something. Uh, and I think it would have been easy to look, it would be easy to like in hindsight, analyze what I did there as sure. I got, I mustered up the, you know, the courage and the wherewithal to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll suggest that there was a much higher vision guiding me in that moment. And it was, you know, that was just like the problem wasn't where my attention was. Right. Because honestly, I think the reason I hadn't solved the problem that long is because I kept trying to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. The inspiration or the power, the thing that powered me through that and through figuring out what I needed to do and have the courage to take that stand was because I aspired to an experience of how I wanted to live my life and the difference I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And I knew feeling the way I'd been feeling for as long as I'd been feeling that crappy kind of way, I was not going to be able to fulfill my aspirations. So I think that was the kind of the source of the courage, you know, Mm. courage is sourced by something, Mm -hmm. right? And that propelled you, that propelled you or gave you the momentum to do something different. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, tr- we try to solve the problem of the day. Well, you know, there's always going to be a new problem, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I, I mean, I, as we get older, there's going to be some new health issue we don't expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the question isn't, you know, whether we're never going to have another problem again. The, the question is it, the only way we make sense of it and we can find the, the most powerful way through it in, and to have the power to get through it and move to the next level, to the other side, however you want to say it, is we have to have of that bigger picture pulling us forward. Yeah. And that is a beautiful segue into positivity. Mm. Because as we know now through science that the more we focus on positive experiences and how we can generate those for ourselves 
whatever that might mean to you, means that we are strengthening our capability to create more of that. Mm. And so if we, and this is why positivity is a practice and a discipline like any other kind of skill or hobby or pastime that you, habit that you want to form, you've got to keep at it. So I think what you're saying here, Susan, is fall straight into one of the ways that you can build positive strategies in your life by looking at the things that work for you and what you can do more of so that you find that when you are faced with adversity and, you know, let's face it, we have a very strong negative bias in our culture because of all the indoctrination that we go through as we get educated. <laughs> and so, Not to mention the media. <laughs> and the media, yeah, the news media particularly. Yeah, so if we are actively seeking how we can get clarity, how we can define our purpose, how we can, you know, work to our own aspirations, what we're doing is strengthening that capacity all the time. So when these negative things or these adverse things come to us, we know that we can get over them. And they're, they're not always the same, but we know we've done it before so we can do it again. You just had me think of a story that I think um, exemplifies this, not just as an individual, but how a group can come together in, in, in that context. Quite some time ago, I worked on starting a nonprofit called One Community. And at the heart of it, it was to bring the voice of the everyday citizens to influence the future of the community. And there was an incident where one boy stabbed another boy in the high school. One was black, one was Hispanic. And so the news media was like looking for a story. And what they wanted to do was basically turn this town into the racial hotbed of suburbia. Um, So that's the story they wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from the superintendent at the school and they said, I I can get 40 community leaders in a room tonight. We need to respond to the media and we need to be on the same page or this story has us, we don't have it. Mm -hmm. And so we walked behind closed doors for two hours and we had a conversation and 40 people who didn't generally get along very well Um, many of whom didn't particularly like each other, but they had very many positions of power. You know, the police chief, the superintendent of schools, the mayor, uh, the clergy council, you know, some heavy hitters in this community. But what they had was something at stake that they all loved and it was their town and what they all very much wanted to Mm. take a stand for is the identity of who their town really was versus what the media was trying to craft it to be. So we walked out of there two hours later and the news media was frantic because we wouldn't, it was a closed door meeting, we wouldn't allow a reporter in the room. And afterwards we made an agreement that no one would speak to news media and there were like six or seven trucks outside the building. If anyone came up to talk to you, that we made an agreement that you would say, go talk to the superintendent, right? That was the the flat answer, that no other conversation was going to happen. And it's pretty miraculous, but they stuck to their guns and completely shut the media out. And the story died. And the, the school and the families and the people involved were able to deal with what happened at the human level as opposed to having to deal with a media circus circling around them, inflaming the situation and, and whatever else that could have caused. And I think it's a great example of where that, the power of that community came from, that shared commitment, that aspiration and that love and care that they all had for something that was shared. Absolutely. It's the collective. And when they chunked up to something that they 
there was a higher purpose there and a shared collective vision. That's right. what empowered them, right? That's right. It, pull, it pulled them together. It pulled them right through. And when, you know, people would have said, you know, if they mm-hmm. had to come up with a paint color to paint the building, <laughs> they never would have been able to agree. Yeah, yeah. One of my guests, his name is Jean-Louis Lombre, and I think he's positivity strategist number 15. He does a lot of community work and he has this particular process or methodology and the bottom line is he, he's saying exactly what you're saying, Susan. Your example is just perfect. It says every group has within itself the essential resources to carry out action towards a dream. Mm. And history shows us this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when push comes to shove and when people are threatened or their dream or their, their identity is threatened, they will rise up, whether it's for good or for bad. Right. So in your case, it was for good. Well, and and I think it took, you know, I give credit to the superintendent at that time because he chose and took a stand that they were going to come together for good. Yeah. Yeah. We have it within us. Yep. So my friend, um, that's a big one. So what's a developmental generative conversation, positive conversation that you would like to be part of in this world? Hmm. I know I'm asking you on the spot. But. Yeah, you really. This is a this is like a big this is like a big question. How do we end world hunger? <laughs> kind of question for well, you. Me. In, you invited me into it when you told this story about your community. I thought that was a really good one. It's good enough. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, the generative conversations all circle back to my purpose, which is to support and inspire people in becoming the most powerful and joyful expressions of themselves in the world. And that operates at the individual level or, and it also operates at the community level. It's the heart of where I come from when I do work with businesses as well. And I think for me, the exciting thing about the social world that it's opened up is, you know, for one thing, if it wasn't for the social world, we, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation mm-hmm. and we wouldn't have the friendship that we have and hold mm-hmm. so dear, mm-hmm. right? And I think, uh, I think it's, I feel a little bit like a kid in a candy store because I think those developmental conversations are available and all around us. I think the bigger challenge for me is which ones don't I want to be a part of? Because mm-hmm. at the, you know, I mean, I've kind of chosen a theme to focus in on, to mm-hmm. engage with, and it's leadership in a very specific, the everyday leadership mm-hmm. variety. Mm-hmm. But that's really what lights me up. It's helping people access their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. And it does start with self. The individual has far more power than many individuals recognize. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when you work in, a, in an organization, whether it's big or small or whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, it's when all those individual individuals, it's kind of like they're individual power generators, like, like power plants, right? <laughs> you know, and so you pull all these individual mm-hmm. power plants together and to the extent that you can string them together, mm-hmm. I'm kind of inventing an analogy as I speak, but you know, to the event that you can string them together, this is where the whole becomes greater than the sum of its mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. So for me, anything I can learn that can help me plug those circuits in so they can create even more power and more capacity to contribute to the world. That's, that's what gets me excited. That's a very shiny metaphor. I like it. <laughs> it's sparkly. <laughs> I can see it from flying, you know, at 60,000 feet. Oh, that exactly. brings up another thing about um, environmental 
sustainability. So I won't go there right now. <laughs> Brings up another right. picture. But I like your picture of, um, yeah, it does. It's, it's that connection and that spark that we, we can generate together. Yep. So, Susan, is there anything that you would like to say more of that you haven't had an opportunity to share with us today? No, actually, I think we've uh, talked about generative conversations, you know. <laughs> so I've had the experience of, uh, you know, of exploring and discovering. And, and it's one of the things I truly value about you and our conversations just in life. Because I don't know about you, but I walk away from these conversations with new insight. And, and it is a source of energy. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Ditto, my friend. <laughs> I just want to say that the show notes to our conversation will be on positivitystrategist.com slash PS20. Any links to Susan's randomactsofleadership.com will be there. Any And any other materials that Susan may have mentioned or in the meantime wants to share with us, they'll be there for you to be able to access. Robin, can I just add one thing? Absolutely. That, um, I have a free report available if you go to leadingmadesimple.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically, it talks about random acts of leadership, those three fundamental acts of leadership that we've talked about today of speaking up, stepping up, standing up, and how to put that into practice in, in your life and in the world. So that is definitely available if you go to leadingmadesimple.com. Okay. Well, we'll make a note of that too, Susan. As always, it's been fabulous. I just so appreciate the fact that we can do this from time to time. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for having me, Robin. It's really been a wonderful experience and a great conversation. Thanks. Okay, to be continued. (laughs) Absolutely. This week's Positivity Lens activity, which I encourage you to download on the show notes page of this episode, and that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS20, is to invite you to think about your own leadership. Remember, we're viewing leadership in terms of how we demonstrate acts of leadership every day, whatever the context. So here are some questions. How are you showing up as the leader of your own life? And how are you speaking up with your own voice? Number two, how clear are you about your purpose in life and what matters to you? Number three, what are your power sources in your life or what generates or ignites the leader in you? Number four, what are your aspirations as a leader? What's the difference you want to make in your relationships and your world? These big questions can make a big difference in your own leadership and how you answer them is really going to impact your leadership. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows so grow towards your best.